The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of stuff going on in technology as always. The um, the uh, Google is going to come out with something called Flocks, F-L-O-C-K-S, to replace cookies. I'll talk about huh. that, but it's really more of the same. Farmers in India are deploying high-tech cameras because they're protesting and there are violent people that are interrupting their protests and they want to locate who they are so they don't get in trouble. Sounds like something that could happen in the U.S. too. Could. Someone is hacking the hackers and it's about time. And there's uh, a new development in uh, electric and battery lithium ion batteries, a new ion, uh, new anode material that's going to triple their capacity. A big development. Now I don't know if I'm going to get time today, but uh, I wanted to talk about the interplanetary file system. It's huh? really a great development. IPFS. I don't okay. know if I'll get to it. Or not, but if I don't get to it today, I'll get to it next week. And of course, it. Oh, one more thing. Yes. Today we are going to feature the man who developed the cassette tape, and uh, also the man who developed the CD. Yeah, he passed away. Lou Auden, right? He passed away recently. Yes, he passed away very recently, just this month. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Jim in Ashburn. Dear Doc and Jim, I spilled a large glass of Coke all over my keyboard. (laughs) Whoa. That's bad. That's deadly. And I immediately unplugged the the power cable from the computer. It was uh, and disconnected the keyboard from the USB port. Now, I'm not so worried about the keyboard since I can replace it, but I was wondering whether you think it's damaged my computer, Jim in Ashburn. Well, uh, Jim, spilling liquid on the keyboard can definitely uh, damage a laptop. Uh, I've had that happen, Jim. And it's not just the wet; it's the sugar that's the real problem, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't you can't really you can't really you know can't really clean it up that easily. I I had a um, I I had a uh, a laptop, but the keyboard was detachable. And it saved the day for me. I wow. just I could order a new keyboard, it, and I, it, because all of the electronics was behind the screen, so it uh, it saved the day for me. Yeah, the once the sugar sugar gets into the keyboard, it's really hard to clean. Hard to clean them up. You got to take it apart and really soak it. It's easier just to throw away the um, throw away the whole laptop. But since your uh, keyboard is attached with a USB port, I don't think it got damaged at all. That's 
that's a pretty good insulator from the from what's going on at the keyboard. Uh, now, I'd recommend when you replace the keyboard, get a wireless keyboard. Then you don't have that wire. And get a wireless mouse. Then you'll have no wires. And it just gives you a lot more freedom. But I don't think you'll have any trouble uh, replacing your uh, your keyboard, Jim. I don't think there's any damage to your laptop. We got an email from Tracy in San Francisco. Dear Doc and Jim, I've noticed that sometimes when I look at someone's profile on Facebook, there's no add friend button. I don't know if it's always been that way, but I just started noticing a few days ago. Sometimes there's add friends, sometimes there isn't. Uh, is there some way to send a friend request to those people if there's no button? Tracy in San Francisco. Well, when you do not see an ad friend button to someone's profile, that means the user has blocked anyone who isn't a friend of someone who's already on the friends list from being able to send a friend request. Some people just don't want to see friend requests from anybody. They want to only have it from friends or friends of friends. Uh, and they have uh, that some they don't want to connect with anybody they got no connection with. Now, if you're inclined to do so, you can put a similar re restriction on your Facebook page. Simply uh, open up the uh, open up your uh, Facebook on a desktop or a laptop and and click on the down arrow on the right side of the Facebook menu bar. Then click on settings and privacy. Then click on settings. Then click on privacy in the left hand column. Scroll down to uh, a line that says how people find a connect with you and then click on when and then uh, there you'll see something that says who can send you friend requests and that window will give you two options everyone or friends of friends and uh, if you only want friends of friends being able to connect with you click on friends of friends the process is similar on the mobile device we got an email from Carla in Woodbridge dear tech talk I've decided to eat healthy oh congratulations Carla a friend suggested I download a QR code uh, scanning app so I can get the nutrition info for foods on restaurant menus. Now, I went to a restaurant for lunch yesterday and saw an item that really looked good. I tried to open the QR code scanning app, but it wouldn't open. Last night, I tried opening the app again. It still wouldn't open. Then I uninstalled the app and tried to download it again, but I couldn't find it on Google Play. Can you recommend a good QR code scanning app for the my Android phone, Carla in Woodbridge? Well, Carla, your old QR code scanning app has been removed from the Google Play Store. That's why it wouldn't work. That's why you couldn't find it. The most common reasons that uh, apps are removed is that either the company's going out of business or the company got caught using their app for nefarious things like loading malware on with the app. That's always a problem. The good news is that most modern smartphones can read QR codes just fine via their native camera app. I'm quite certain that your, your camera can do that. Just open up the camera app, point it at the QR code, and, um, and when you point it at the QR code, it should actually lock on that QR code and a web page should come up. Now, if that doesn't happen, you may want to go to your camera settings for your camera and activate QR code scanning. It could be that your camera, you've got to activate QR code scanning, but it should be native with the, uh, with the camera. By the way, iPhones work the same way. Just you can scan QR codes with your, 
with your um, with the the native camera that's built into the iPhone. So best of luck with your diet, Carla. We got an email from Chuck in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, uh, I've got a one terabyte hard drive in my uh, computer, and it started making noise. I think it's a Doc. Are you there, Doc? Why I think we lost Doctor Shirts. Did you lose me? Yeah, I did lose you. Am I back? You're back now. Yeah. How how long did you lose me, Jim? It was about twenty seconds or so. Wow. Maybe, maybe less than not... that. Yeah. Okay. That is not good. No, it's not. And we'll get into that when we get into tales from the uh, or thoughts. What is it? Observations That's from the bunker. Right. You've been having an that... internet mess down there. I have been. That's uh, really disconcerting. I thought I was back on track here with everything. It was gone, gone, if, gone. Is it gone now? No, you're there. You're there. You're, you're, you're as we say in radio, you're five by five right now. All right. All right. I don't know what's going on here. March onward, soldier. We'll keep an ear I'm going to march onward. So okay. Chuck in Baltimore wanted to get a one terabyte drive for his computer. And I say, Chuck, that's a great idea. Uh, you get replace that failing hard drive. You can get a one terabyte solid-state hard drive, a Western Digital one, uh, on Amazon for $89. And the Western Digital hard drives are really good. I've been using them. That This particular one's got over 36,000 positive reviews. Uh, now, your uh, solid-state hard drive is going to have to have a, a blank spot. You're, you're going to have to have an open two-and-a-half-inch drive bay in your computer. If you don't have one, you're, you can always get an inexpensive two-and-a-half drive bay adapter bracket so you can mount it inside your PC case. But should be easy to do, and best of luck, Chuck, with your new hard drive. We got an email from Doug in Pittsburgh. Dear Tech Talk, I recently read an article about using hard drives or SSDs in a RAID configuration. The article said that RAID 1 copies all the data to every uh, drive in the array, it also said it effectively uh, clones your device. RAID 1, you, you basically, if you've got two drives, it will put the same information on both drives. One guy said then you don't need a backup because you're copying to, to, to both drives at the same time. You've got an automatic backup. And then somebody else said, no, it's a bad idea. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do, I, do I need an extra backup if I use RAID 1? Doug in Pittsburgh. Well, Doug, uh, I'd have to go with the second comment. It's a bad idea to use that as your backup. Now... The reason that you go to RAID is that in case you have a hard drive failure and the server's operating, you've got no downtime. You can basically swap in a new uh, replacement hard drive and you're good to go. And so you use these RAID configurations to give maximum uptime to servers. But it's really not a good backup. For instance, suppose the power grid coming into your house is struck by lightning. Both drives will get knocked out. Suppose you accidentally delete a file from your hard drive. It'll be deleted on both files. You won't have a backup. Suppose your computer gets infected with a horrible ransomware virus. Both hard drives get infected, uh, whereas a backup off-site would not. Suppose your house burns down. You lose both hard drives without a backup. Suppose a burglar breaks into the house and steals your computer and your hard drives. So you see, there are many reasons why you want to back up at another location. Yes. So the RAID, the RAID 1 will keep your server and your computer up always so you don't won't be down. But you want to really back up maybe to the cloud so you got a second backup at another location. 
We got an email from Joy in Ashburn. Uh, Dear Doc and Jim, um, my seven-year-old laptop stopped working. And, uh, and uh, you know, so I, inst- I installed, uh, I got a new one, Windows 10. I inst- went through the whole installation process. And it asked me to create a PIN. So I created a four-number PIN. And then I was reading that somebody said these pins aren't very secure, that you should really use the uh, the password because, you know, it's easy to guess them, uh, the pin. So now I want to delete the pin, but I, I don't know how to do it. And, it. and even though I'm using the password to log on, it always has the pin option. Well, um, uh, Joy, in fact, the four-digit pin is not very secure. But the fact is you can select the length of the pin. Uh, it just gave you a, a four-digit option. You can, you can go back into setup, and you can change the length of the pin. Make it You can make it as long as you want. But if you want to get rid of the pin completely, just click on the Start button. Then click on the Settings icon. That's the little gear. Then click on Accounts. Then click on the Sign In options. And then click on the Windows Hello pin. That's what they call it, the Hello pin. And then click Remove. And then want to click remove again. And once you do that, boom, your pin is gone. You can just do it with your passwords only. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, 104.5 FM HD 2 in Loudoun County and southwest of D.C. now on 107.7 FM HD 2. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and learn how you can go there by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, now are. it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, I'll get this right eventually, Jim. We got... Today, we're going to feature Ludwig Frederick Ottens, nicknamed Lou Ottens. Lou Probably Ottens good was idea. a. Yes, it's much easier to pronounce it. How I mean, about, his mother said, Ludwig Frederick? 
How about this? What are you up to? <laughs> How about Ludwig Friedrich? What do you think? Yes. In Dutch, do you think that might be? Uh... I think that's much better, Jim. That is much, much better. So, Lou Ottens was a Dutch engineer and inventor, best known for inventing the cassette tape and being involved with the development of the compact disc, the CD. Ottens was born in Bellingwold, Netherlands. What do you think? How do you pronounce that, Jim? I June 21st, 1926. I think you got that one. As a child, he's passed his time playing with the Meccano model construction set. Now, in the U.S., we call that the erector set. Ah. You know, you, you, you screw all these things together and make all sorts of cranes and models. He was, he, he was mechanically inclined. I now, he built, always cut myself on the erector set. There were sharp edges. You remember that? Yeah, I, yeah, they were. I loved the erector set. Especially, I loved it when they started having electric motors so you could get them to do things. I, yeah, I just loved playing yeah. with those. We weren't that, ex we weren't that rich. Now, as a teenager, uh, he built a radio. Uh, this was, by the way, when, uh, when the during World War II, when Denmark was occupied by Germany. Uh, he built a radio, uh, so his parents could receive Radio Orange. That's Radio Orange, which was a uh, broadcast out of the BBC in London, uh, in uh, in Danish which was giving them updates about the status of the war. And he had a directional antenna on it, uh -huh. which he called his German filter, <laughs> so he could avoid the jammers used by the Nazis. That's funny. So even then, he was like interested in electronics. Uh, Otten served in the Dutch Air Force, although he was stationed on the ground because of poor eyesight. So he... <laughs> Probably His dream was thing. to become a pilot, but uh, he never he never made it there. After the war, he attended Delft University of Technology, where he studied, you guessed it, mechanical engineering. There you go. While attending university, Auden's uh, worked part-time as a drafting technician for an X-ray uh, technology factory. He actually didn't, didn't have enough money to pay his tuition. He, he worked his way through school with this part-time job. He, he worked, he worked about half time and worked his way through school. He graduated in 1952. Uh, he was immediately hired by Phillips and that's a company he stayed with his entire career. Now he started with the mechanization department, uh, in, uh, in the main industry group in 1952, because he was a mechanical engineer in 1957. He was transferred to the to a factory in Hasselt, Belgium. Now, this factory mainly produced audio equipment, including turntables, tape recorders, and loudspeakers. In 1960, uh, he became head of the new product development department in Hasselt, and he led the development of Philips' first reel-to-reel -reel portable tape recorder, uh, the EO3585. You remember those? They were like they were like as big as a bread box, really. Yeah. And the reels were probably uh, twelve inch reels, eight mm -hmm. to twelve inch reels. They were they were actually yep. not that portable, but they at least they you could pick them up and carry them. Right. It was quite successful. It sold over a million units. Two years later, Auden's made the biggest breakthrough in his life. And it was born out of his annoyance with these reel-to-reel -reel tapes. 
One night he was trying to, you know, he was trying to thread the tape through the recorder and he just got so fed up with it. He said, come on, there's got to be a better way. Yep. He said, we need to develop a tape recording system where you don't have to feed the tape. It's just all taken care of automatically. And it ought to be small enough to fit in your pocket. Uh I mean, if it's really portable, it ought to fit in your pocket. And so Otten's cut out a block of wood <laughs> to fit inside of his pocket. And he cut different shapes to get a, you know, he liked, you know, he wore suits. He's a formal guy. So yeah. it would be on the inside, uh, inside uh, breast uh, pocket on his suit. Breast, yes. yeah, the, yeah, the breast pocket on his suit. So he got it so it would fit very comfortably in that pocket. And he used that as his model. Uh, and he developed a, a cassette, a portable cassette recorder that was the size of that block of wood, the EL3300. Now, he had to uh, create a, uh, a tape that would fit into this thing. Mm-hmm. So they created a tape that was, you know, that, you know well, that we know and love now. It's that plastic and the, all the tape is contained within the cassette. And it just reels from one side of the cassette to the other. It was the old cassette tape recorder. No open reels. Everything was self-contained. So they presented the first tape, cassette tape, along with the tape recorder at the Electronics Fair in Berlin. And the tagline was, smaller than a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> they were? Now, I, I, I don't think that tagline would work anymore, Jim. No. Uh, but no. I guess but back in the day, that was a good tagline. Smaller line. than your iPhone. Now, smaller than your iPhone, that would be a better tagline. Now, it turned out, though, that uh, that video of this conference made it over to pictures of the conference, made it to Japan, and pretty soon there were uh, Japanese knockoffs of this miniature tape recorder. But they weren't as small, and they weren't as good. Now, in particular, uh, there was... Uh, a rival of Philips was in working on this thing in Japan, Sony. Now, I think the thing that's incredibly uh, far-sighted on the part of Lou Ottens, he always went to the competition and tried to get a unified world standard. I mean, it's really quite exceptional. So he flew to Japan and he met with Sony. And Sony was getting ready to release another type of cassette tape, different size, different format. You know, you really? know the, the you know the drill. Yeah. And uh, and he said, what we're going to do? He said he convinced the Philips executives to release all the patents on their cassette design because Sony was not able to get the the small size that they had achieved. And. When Philips was able to share their technology with Sony, Sony agreed that they would have one standard for the cassette tape that would be a worldwide standard. And that would ensure that cassettes made by Philips or cassettes made by Sony Sony would fit in any recorder. That was a staggering result Mm -hmm. because we didn't have a cassette tape war, as they say. And the rest is history. And that led to mixtapes that are beloved by teenagers because up to that point, you just had records uh, and you'd have to buy the record, but you couldn't put a bunch of songs in one location. But all of a sudden, teenagers could make mixtapes of their favorite songs and take them anywhere. Yep. 
And what what would have been some of the songs that they played back then on those mixtapes, well, Jim? You know, we were gonna we we're gonna get into this because Ottens also worked on the CD. Now, oh, we can, we'll get into some we'll get of into those. We'll get into the things. music later. Oh, you know, I I it, wish uh, now Andrew, our producer, uh, was telling me before the show that he made a bunch of mixtapes as a DJ when he was a kid. And I wish I wish he'd brought some of those in. I would have. He loved could have to. brought some of those because this was back. This cassette tape was released around 1963, uh, 1964. Right. And that that was the so all the music back then would have been on mixtapes. It would have been like, um, uh, oh gosh, you know. I, but when did it take off? I mean, it was first in '63, but I would have suspected it wasn't. Like everything else, it took a little while to become into the mainstream. Yeah, probably sixty by sixty-seven. Probably yeah. took a few years. Right. But they had a, they had a uniform standard that was really because of Lou Otten. So there wouldn't have been a uniform because Stoney doesn't play nicely usually, and uh, but he got them to play nicely. And, and you know, it's funny. Now, you think think yes? back about it. Getting a cassette player in your car that took a long time because back in the day, back in that period, all you had were AM radios in cars. It took for a while for FM and then for a cassette. That was a big deal when you got that. It, it was a big deal. I mean, yeah. I, I used to have a cassette tape in my car. Then you were from I the mean, other I side never of the tracks. My my cassette tapes were always seemed to be jammed. That was another problem. That was but, the other uh, thing I was thinking about. Whenever you spent any distance out of a car walking down the street, how many cassette tapes did you see thrown on the street with a, with a tape ripped out of it where it would jam, and they just pulled it out of the yeah. cassette player and threw it out the window? So I, so I learned the trick. I would take a pencil, and yep. I'd put it in one of the holes and, like, turn the pencil and then wind the tape back up on one of the reels. Exactly. I became an expert on saving cassette tape reels. Using the pencil trick. That's see, you know, uh, uh, the mind of a uh, a physicist would would do that. Yeah. Now, in 1972, he became technical director of the Philips Main Industry Group Audio. Now, in that position, he realized that laser technology was being researched at Philips for video records, and that. The laser could also be used for audio records. So using the resources from the NAT lab, that was the lab under him, he designed a new solid-state laser that was smaller and more suitable for uh, recording audio. Now, and so his, goal, his dream was to create a, uh, a recording medium that would be read with the laser because he knew that records... Uh, the more you play the record, the more it gets worn and there's distortion in the record and it doesn't stay in its pristine condition right. when you use it. And we needed to replace it with something better. He also knew that the cassette tape had a lot of background static that you couldn't get rid of. And he said, we need something better. So then they started working on the uh, uh, laser technology for reading, uh, reading uh, these discs. And they started out initially with analog technology. And he said, you know, I got the same background noise problem going analog as we did with the old uh, cassette tape. So then he decided to go to digital technology where they basically digitally encode the, uh, the music and then they read, off, read it off in digital format. And so they started working on that. He actually formed a team of technicians that were experts on digital format. And they realized their first full model of a digital uh, optical disc in March of 1979, and they released it in a conference at Edenhoven. Now, as you might expect, Sony was also working on this. So he flew 
uh, yet again to Japan and met with the executives at Sony. It turned out that Philips was ahead in the digital development and optical recording, uh, uh, and but they had not. Uh, it, it 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 turned out Sony uh, uh, was ahead of Philips in digital and optical recording, but they hadn't found a way to reduce the size of the laser. So Philips had part of the technology, and Sony had another part of the technology, and Ottens convinced Sony to create one standard and not have the Philips standard and the Sony standard. So in 1980, they released the 12-centimeter Philips-Sony CD standard that was the worldwide standard for compact discs. That's pretty And that amazing. was really another big breakthrough. Amazing that these two companies uh, worked together to get these two things done and standardized. Because we were talking last night over dinner about things that didn't work because they weren't standardized. AM stereo never worked because they couldn't come up with a standard convention for AM stereo. Yep. But that's, that's and, pretty interesting. But it was strictly because of Lou Ottens. He was the guy that made that happen. He was, a, he was really trying to... Uh, trying to achieve a worldwide standard. And so now we all know the CD. It's been everywhere. Now, when he got back from his trip to Japan, he, they, they, they moved him to the video group, and they started working on the development of the VCR. Now, as it turned out, he was not so successful in the video recording market mm -hmm. because we ended up with a video format war, if you remember. Yeah. Yep. Beta VHS, VHS versus Betamax. Yep. Well, it turned out that, as you might expect, Sony had a, had a format, uh, Betamax, and uh, there was another Japanese uh, company uh, that had another format, VHS. And, uh, and so it was uh, JVC. Mm -hmm. That was the Victor Corporation of Japan, JVC. They had, they, they had another format, VHS. And... Uh, and Victor was not allowed to convince Sony to, um, you know, to have one format. As it turned out, Philips didn't quite get to the game quickly enough to have an influence there. Even though Otten was still at Philips, Philips came out with a consumer-grade VCR, released that in 1972, uh, the, in, a, in their own VCR format. But... It was just not as good as VHS mm -hmm. or Betamax. So he was not in that. So he was not in the play there. So he could not get Sony to agree to a single format. So we ended up with the with with the beta Betamax versus VHS. VHS. And in the end, VHS won because it was cheaper. I was going to say VHS became more popular. But the, the great thing about the beta tapes was that they, they were smaller. They took up less space, didn't they? Yeah, they were smaller, but you couldn't put an entire movie on them. Their their initial length was too short for oh, a full length movie. Didn't know that. Uh, yeah, so there there were issues there, but uh, but it, it ended up just being cheaper. It was it was higher quality, but it was quality that people didn't really care about. They just wanted cheap. <laughs> right, know? right. So so Lou was not able to unify the world in video recording. Unfortunately, he retired in 1986. But, but he stayed active in the field of technology for, for many years. He became the Dutch, the chair of the Dutch Association for Logistics Management. Uh, now, looking back, more than 100 billion cassette tapes were sold, and more than 200 billion CDs have been sold. Mm. Now, somebody asked Ottens what he regretted. 
He said his biggest regret is that Sony brought out the first Walkman. He said it still hurts that Phillips didn't bring that one out. Yeah. Ottens died March 6, 2021 at age 94. So there you go. Everything you needed to yep. know about Lou Ottens, so the we, man who helped unify the standards. So we talked about uh, CDs and music. And every time we talk about this, every so often, we, we play the music that was first released. The first yes. music on CD was actually classical music. And it was um, a compilation of Chopin's waltzes, which is what we're listening to now. This oh. is... I'm going to mess this up. It's Grand Vals Briante in E-flat major, opus 18, here on Federal News Network. Oh, yes. It brings back memories. Does yes. it now? Oh, yeah. Of your prom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the prom. But I have to say, Jim, that was not on my mixtape, though. I can't. But, I, uh... <laughs> it might have been on mine. Um, but then, but the first popular music was uh, released uh, was ABBA, and it was the album oh. called Visitors, The Visitors. But I don't remember a single song. So this is the title track, The Visitors. In fact, I'm going to skip a little bit forward here and uh, because this just goes on and on and on. I don't remember this at all. I don't but either. The first I, think they, I think they must have gotten a new producer when they finally got popular. Well, they did because then they released this, which is the whole point of playing the music, is playing this. <laughs> the best album Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dancing Queen. There you go. Oh, yeah. So this was Queen Elizabeth's a, favorite song. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the official ta- song of Tech Talk. Anyway, there you go. That was the um, that was the, uh, the the first music on CD. And now CDs are no more. You know? No. Everything is digital. Now it's MP3. Exactly. That's right. Yep. Uh, so are we finished? We're finished with Mr. Ottens, right? He We're died. finished with Mr. Ottens. Yes, good. we are. Excellent. Well, I hope you're paying attention because there was a lot there. Uh, and maybe you're recording this at home on your cassette deck, and you can answer the question we're going to ask in pop, the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, and also on 104.5 FM uh, HD, uh, rather, that's in Loudoun County. Southwest of D.C., we're on 107.7 FM HD2. Learn more about Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really do appreciate all that applause. I know you do. But of course, it is Classroom of the Airways, and you might be laughing now, but after the pop quiz, you may be crying. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier in the show, I talked about Lou Ottens. Of course, he's best known as for inventing the cassette tape and being involved with the development of the compact disc. Now, when he was first coming up with the idea of the cassette tape recorder, how did he decide what size to make it? Okay. If you know the answer to today's question, now's your chance to pick up the phone. Give us a call. Dialing from west of the Rockies. It's 877-936-9333. Standing next to a pile of broken cassette tapes east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're a dancing queen in Canada, call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly with a magnetic degausser. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Jertz. I figured that was, yes. you know, degaussers is what we use to clean the cassette. Well, we, back in radio, we used carts, which look like an 8-track tape. Oh, and, yeah, those are the bigger ones. Yep, yeah. and, and the way to clean those is you had to uh, wave them over a degausser, which is basically a giant magnet. Yeah, I can imagine that. I used to do some of that stuff a long time ago. My dad was in video video recording. He had some old, some of the first video recorders, and he'd have to demagnetize the tapes. Now, Doc, in the early computers, weren't 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 tapes used to record uh, uh, things on the on the computer? In the beginning, they were used. They used tapes. This was before they had hard drives. Yeah, that right. was the first. And they would actually have digital tapes, and you'd go to a particular location, and that tape would be zinging back and forth, just like it was reading off of a hard drive. Uh, but and the, it was and I guess, slow. It was slow. Now, in order, but, to, could you reuse those? Would you clean those off of the degausser and then reuse them, or was no, it, oh yeah, you could reuse yeah, those. Okay. Yeah, that was a long, long time ago. Yep. I mean, and, and I used to, you know, I used to, you know, they used to have to load my programs onto the computer. They'd have to load. Load the discs on the computer. They and they were. I think my programs back in the day were on tape, and they, they'd load the tape onto the computer and read the program into the computer. So that's 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 why they say load the disc goes mm-hmm. back to the days. Uh, the warning of the week. Yes. I want to get to it. Ransomware is exploiting Microsoft Exchange. Now there's a new ransomware strain that's exploited a vulnerability uncovered in Microsoft Exchange servers, and it could lead to really to bad things. It's called Deer Cry, <laughs> and it's showing up in servers affected by a breach that was attributed to a Chinese Chinese hacker group. Now Microsoft has detected this and is now blocking a new family of ransomware. Uh, 
that's uh, that has that initially compromised the set of unpatched on-premise exchange servers. Now, this is the latest sign of that a security flaw that became public this month could open the doors to a wide variety of hackers, cyber criminals, and espionage operators. It's critical that governments quickly come up with a strategy to help organizations secure their exchange servers. The FBI and Department of Homeland Security have warned that the exchange server vulnerability may be exploited for nefarious purposes. Mm. A joint statement by the agencies said adversaries could exploit these vulnerabilities to compromise networks, steal information, encrypt data for ransom, or even execute destructive attacks. The hack is believed to have affected over 30,000 Microsoft email servers. So if you've got a mail server on your company, do that security upgrade pronto. All right. We have somebody who would like to play our quiz. Okay. We will go now to line two. And this is Thomas, who is calling us from Bowie, Maryland. Good morning, Thomas. How are you? Whoops. Got to do that. Thomas, how are you doing? Pretty good. Good. Doc, go ahead and uh, ask very question. Good. Early in the show, I talked about Lou Ottens, of course, best known as in, for inventing the cassette tape and for being involved in the development of the compact disc. How did he decide on the size of the first cassette tape recorder? He wanted something that fit in his pocket and used a piece of wood as the guide for the ultimate size. Excellent. That is Very correct. good, Thomas. Well done. Thanks for t- playing today. Thanks for listening, and thanks for calling in, in here on uh, Tech Talk Radio. This is Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. We're heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, 107.7 FM HD2 southwest of D.C., and now in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about Stratford University and how you can attend by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. Ah, uh, yes. That door just this gets weekend, louder and this- louder. This week in the bunker was really a tough week for me. Yeah, uh, I lost internet down here 
at the Bay House. It turned out there was noise on the line and the uh, cable company just disconnected me from the network without telling me. And I could not get anything to work at all. And this was several days before my board of trustees meeting. I had to upload documents to my Dropbox so the board could review the documents for read ahead. I couldn't upload them from the house. No internet, and I didn't have enough bars on the uh, my cell phone to use uh, the data side of my cellular connection, which was really minimal because I'm mostly on Wi-Fi calling whenever I'm at the house, so I don't use any of the uh, cellular connection. So I had to drive around town searching for free Wi-Fi. I, uh, you know, was a, wi- a Wi-Fi beggar. I went to the Rappahannock Art Council. They had terrible speeds. They had free the Wi-Fi, but really, really low, low speeds. I went to the, uh, to the uh, Kilmarnock Library. Their speeds were a little bit low. Finally, the best connection I could get was McDonald's. Uh, I got a 25 megabit download speed and six megabit upload, which was which was sufficient for me to upload all my documents to the uh, to the board for the for the board meeting. I um, but I had to park very close to the uh, to the uh, to the building so I could get a strong signal. So I pulled right up in front, right in front of the glass windows there, blocking the uh, the drive through line, right. No, yeah, no I, no, I didn't block the drive-through line, but I was I was parked. They, the parking places right in front are basically handicapped, so I pulled right up into a handicapped parking oh, place. Uh, but there were others, so I wasn't like taking the the, the last one. Uh-huh. And I pulled very up close, and I was facing the uh, uh, McDonald's as I was doing all my work, and the staff kept looking out at me, saying, "What is this guy up to?" Because you couldn't go in. And they were getting a little worried about me. Uh, you know, I was sitting there and they were watching me. They said, is this guy casing the joint? He's going to come <laughs> in here and like steal some cheeseburgers or something. It's the Hamburglar uh, in the parking lot. The Hamburglar. Yeah, they were a little worried about me. But I, <laughs> I uploaded all my documents. I actually had enough bandwidth. I could have done the show from from there because, I, you know, we only do 104, uh, 144 kilobit per second upload download. So I had enough bandwidth to do the entire show. But um, uh, I decided probably I shouldn't do it, especially when uh, I, to- I told Jim about my plan, and he was highly skeptical that it would work. <laughs> so you, you burned I, up a couple of tanks of gas to get it done by coming back up here. I know, but I had no idea. Uh, first of all, without Internet, I had no Internet TV. I had no Alexa for my timers. My... Normally, I open my garage door with my iPhone because I'm, I'm I got my garage door connected to the internet. Uh, I couldn't open the garage door with my iPhone. No Dropbox uploads for the board meeting. <clears throat> no Skype for the radio show. Yep. Even my hydroponic garden was offline, and I couldn't watch my plants grow by video. I actually had to put a chair and just watch my hydroponic grow in person. Isn't that isn't that how you figured out that this was a problem was because you couldn't watch the garden from afar? Yes, that's how I knew the internet was out because the garden the garden feed went out. The garden video the feed garden went feed. out. And so I drove down to see what was going on. And then they had disconnected me from the network. So I called but the they help didn't desk. Tell you. And 
And they, they didn't even tell me. Then uh, the help desk said, well, it looks like your router's fried. So I went and bought another router just as a backup, put that on. It had the same behavior. There was no upload-download co connectivity. So when the guy came out, he said, yeah, they disconnected you. And they, he connected me back up again, and my router worked perfectly. But he said, you had noise on the line, and we disconnected you. So he went in and tightened up all of the uh, connectors. And uh, so I still don't know what the noise was caused by. I did have uh, Ethernet, Powerline Ethernet here, and both of my Powerline Ethernet boxes are blown out. They're, they're not working. So I'm wondering whether that could have been part of it. I'm not really certain. But I began to realize, you know, you don't realize the problem that kids have if they don't have internet at home and the school goes right. completely online. Yep. I mean, you, I mean, I understood that in spades. I mean, you, you're really stuck. And, you know, you can, it's, um, uh, and so I think that we've got to be aware of this problem because it, uh, you know, it was, it really was, I felt like I was like, uh, you know, isolated without the internet. Now, on the, uh, on, on the plus side, when you don't have internet, you don't have the distractions of online, it's extremely peaceful. <laughs> There's that. So I could sit there. And I could meditate and watch my plants grow. I could sit out by the on the chair outside and watch the waves. So, if I wouldn't have had the uh, the task of preparing the show and delivering the show, if I wouldn't have had the task of preparing for the board meeting, uh, actually three days of isolation may not have been bad. And many people have said, you know, when you get off the grid, somehow your tension levels go down. And I did notice that. But then they would go right up again when I realized all the stuff I had to do. Right, yeah. The so it's been a week life. without internet, and uh, I'm glad that it's working now, although we had some spotty connection earlier. I don't know what caused that. Yeah, it seems to be okay, knock wood. Well, you know, I, I pushed the microphone connector more solidly into the laptop. Maybe, maybe it was just a loose connection on the microphone. I, I don't know. You could be onto something. Let's, let's go talk about something that Google is doing. They're saying goodbye to cookies and hello to flocks. Hmm. So Google recently announced that they're going to make a major change to digital privacy. Right now, they use third-party cookies to track what you're doing. Cookies are little snippets that actually that your browser stores on your computer that, that tracks all the websites you've been to. And they use that to deliver ads to you. But they're replacing it with something called federated learning of cohorts <laughs> federated learning of cohorts flocks <laughs> i'd rather I mean, have a cookie thanks yeah i'd rather have a cookie than a flock yeah now the problem with cookies is that they identify you as a person and the 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 advertisers know exactly where you have been and so it's one-on-one -on -one advertising so you got no privacy mm -hmm. now the idea with flocks Fed, what is it? I guess got to get this name back again. Federated learning of cohort flocks. They replace individual identifiers with groups or cohorts. So you're just in a cohort, but the uh, but the uh, uh, but the vendors don't exactly know you personally. They just are advertising to a cohort. Now, but still, people don't privacy. People don't like it. Like the Electronic Frontier Foundation thinks this system could even make the, the current system even worse. 
because they would produce behavioral ads that would actually could be discriminatory or include predatory targeting. They're basically saying it's, uh, you know, it could put you in a, in, in a group that you don't want to be in. So maybe you're losing specific identity of you, but actually you are still uh, possibly discriminated against by, by this information. So they don't like it at all. Moreover, Google's not giving up anything. They have something called custom, because Google still can identify you as a person with YouTube and Google and all of their services. So what they do, they link up the flock data with their own personal data, and they still know exactly who you are. So they sell a service called Customer Match, where advertisers upload customer contact information, and Google matches them exactly. So what's happening here is Google is telling everybody else don't track people personally, but they're, they're doing it do themselves. It. Yep. You know? Yep. And Google is making $40 billion a year on ads. Mm. Mm. And so uh, the trouble, so Flox is still going to be the same old, same old targeted ads. And a few companies are going to be able to aggregate power and money because of the ads. So it's not really a big change. We got uh, uh, Indian farmers are installing high-tech cameras in secret locations. Now, this is... This is actually kind of interesting because this is, you know, protests and violence have a certain characteristic where there's always some outside agitators trying to take advantage of a particular protest in order to create a violent situation. We have the same situation in the U.S. Well, in September of 2020, the Indian Parliament passed three farm acts that farmers consider to be detrimental to their livelihood. Now, the Farmers Union and the representatives then proceeded to demand that they be re repelled, and they started protests against the acts. Repealed. Repealed, repealed I yeah. should say, not repelled. Repealed. I was typing a little too fast last night. Now, on November 26, 3,000 farmers set up bases in, in the border between Delhi and Haryana to protest the new farm bills which they called anti-farmer bills. It was a big, peaceful protest. But there were people in the group that were inciting violence. So to protect themselves, the farmers put up CC closed-circuit TV cameras in secret locations all around where they were going to have the protests. These cameras are tied into video tracking software that uses face recognition. And they've got a 360-degree view. They've got 15 volunteers monitoring these monitors and the output. They're, what they're doing is they're identifying individuals that are inciting the riot so they can turn them into the authorities to protect themselves. I'm thinking this may be a good idea even in the U.S. because we've got people that are trying to incite violence at protests when the protesters don't want to be violent at all. Uh, it's, a, it's a great innovation. I'm going to watch how that's going to happen, continue in, in India. Someone is hacking the hackers, and it's about time. So what, what's going on here? There's an elite hacking group, uh, which is called Maza, Maza. 
and it's uh, and they have all sorts of uh, criminal activity on the Maza website, including malware distribution, money laundering, carding. Carding is the is the nickname for selling stolen credit card information, and lots of other bad things. Now the forum's considered elite. It's very hard to join, and it's been the location of some of the most prolific cyber criminal activity. Now somebody hacked Maza, and they took out thousands of data points from the site's servers, including usernames, email addresses, and hashed passwords. The intruder subsequently dumped all the stolen data onto the dark web. And now the criminals are afraid that their identities are going to be exposed. What a turn of events. Mm. Now, the validity of the data has been verified by the uh, threat intelligence firm Intel 471. Now, actually, this came after two other hacks of, uh, of, of, of the cybercrime groups. One was a group called Verified, a website called Verified, and another was a group called Exploit. Those occurred earlier this year. Three hacks of elite hackers in one month. Many people think that this is actually law enforcement and that law enforcement is hacking these groups, releasing the data to make these forums less attractive for cyber criminals. And if that's true, hats off to our, uh, to our, uh, you know, our, uh, law enforcement officers, because that is a great tactic. Yep. Now let's talk. I got one room. I got time for just one quick article. Yep. I think. Yep. You do. Uh, with they, they've come up with a new anode for, um, for, um, lithium ion batteries, and this will triple the capacity of the lithium ion battery. It actually is a, it's a compound uh, that's made with nanoparticles. It's carbon oxide, zinc oxide, ferric, uh, iron oxide uh, compound. And it actually triples the capacity of it and it, and, it, and it allows them to cycle five times more. It's a great breakthrough for electric vehicles. Listen, we love your email. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to our website, www.stratford.edu. Check out all of our programs and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.